0: Thanks so much, Jeff. Well, good morning, everyone. Uh, my name is Dax. It's my privilege to think about Galatians with you this morning. And thanks to all of you who prayed for Bob. He's apparently turned the corner with his knee surgery, so that is good news. Um, yeah, and, you know, I was just struck even this morning with corporate worship. I really appreciate what Greg said. And just every movement of the service just drawing drawing us deeper into God's goodness, whether it's the call to worship or the prayers or even the giving. And so I'm just grateful for corporate worship and every movement of the service. And so, yeah, we are uh, continuing our series in Galatians, though, uh, and we're looking at chapter 2 today. We're going to look at verses 1 through 10. And so if you have your Bible, we'd love for you to take that out. It's also going to be on the screen. And if you're able, please stand for the reading of God's Word, Galatians chapter 2 verses 1 through 10, and let's be mindful that this is God's Word. Then after 14 years, I went up again to Jerusalem with Barnabas, taking Titus along with me. I went up because of a revelation and set before them, though privately before those who seemed influential, the gospel that I proclaim among the Gentiles in order to make sure I was not running or had not run in vain. And when James and Cephas and John, who seemed to be pillars, perceived the grace that was given to me, they gave the right hand of fellowship to Barnabas and me that we should go to the Gentiles and they to the circumcised. Only they asked us to remember the poor, the very thing I was eager to do. The grass withers and the flowers fade, but this, the word of our Lord, it stands forever. This is our authoritative, infallible, inerrant word from God. And as Bob often says, he gave it to us Because he loves us. So let's pray. Father, I do thank you for uh, your word. And we pray uh, today before uh, this sermon. We pray, God, before every sermon because we're that helpless. And we need the illuminating power of your spirit. And so, Lord Jesus, would you get at the center of our hearts even now of this passage? uh, Would you eliminate distractions? Would you draw our affections as Sue prayed to think about you? And Lord, would uh, we have great confidence, as Jeff even saying, uh, that you see us, you know us, and we are yours. And it's in Christ we pray. Amen. Uh, preservation. Uh, preservation. The idea of preservation is at the heart of the passage that we're looking at today. And verses 4 through 5 are really at the center of it. Uh, where Paul says he has fought to preserve the truth of the gospel. It's really going to be much of what characterizes the message today. And So if you think about preservation, maybe you have something precious or valuable. uh, And and if you do, you're going to work hard to make sure that it's safe and that it's taken care of. It could be maybe a family heirloom. Uh, Maybe it's your grass. Maybe it's your yard or your home. Thankfully, grass cutting is going to lessen here as the fall comes. Uh, I've had this Bible for 20 years now, and I just recently got it recovered because it was deteriorating and falling apart, right? But if you think about preservation, it takes work, it takes a little bit of cost, some energy, right? It can be tiring to think about preserving things. Well, think about Paul. So he's planted these churches on the gospel of grace, and it hasn't taken long. False teachers have crept in. They're kind of like weeds, The weeds in our grass, they're like moths that are getting after things that we want to preserve, right? They've come in and they've started to spoil the fruit and break it down within these churches. And so Paul is working hard to preserve. He's on a mission. He's been on a mission. This mission of love and proclaiming the gospel. And these false teachers have crept in to spoil the fruit. Maybe you can identify today. Maybe this is a little like the gospel in your own life. I can be there, right? Maybe you're here today, and you, you feel like one of those churches. You've, had a, you've experienced a season of fruit. Maybe you're a new Christian, but then you start to feel the weeds growing up. The moths are nipping at you and breaking down a little bit. It could be apathy. Maybe there's a difficult circumstance. It could be doubts. Perhaps a low-level cynicism is creeping in. Right? Sometimes we just can't even name it. But you're here today, you're kind of like one of those churches, this is the way the gospel works, and you're feeling a need for preservation. And so what do we learn then? What do we learn from this passage as we look at Paul's work, as he kind of lays out some of his credentials and building confidence in his gospel with these churches? What do we learn? We're going to look at three things today. First of all, we're going to look at the need to continually establish The truth of the gospel in our hearts. Secondly, we're going to look at threats. And what are the threats out there? And think about what some of the particular threats are to gospel truth. And then thirdly, as we come to the table, we'll think about anchoring our hope to the gospel truth and what that looks like. So first of all, let's think about continually establishing gospel truth in our hearts. Paul says there in verse 2, he says, I went up before them, he went up to Jerusalem, Right, and I set before them the gospel I proclaim. I set it before them. And then in verse 5, it says, uh, We didn't yield in submission, even for a moment, as we mentioned, so that the gospel might be preserved. And if you consider the whole scope of the passage, really where this point is coming from, you look at Paul and he's going to great lengths to establish gospel truth. It's a lot of work. He's going to great lengths. So he says he received a revelation from Jesus, and so he makes the effort to go up to Jerusalem, again, building credibility that his gospel is valid. He makes sure that Titus wasn't circumcised, that he hasn't obeyed the rules. So these guys are requiring, the false teachers are requiring faith in Jesus plus obedience to Mosaic rules. And Paul says, I haven't given in to that. And then he had to address their criticisms. They were claiming Paul hey, you're not part of the A-team. You're not part of the guys from Jerusalem. Those are the guys who really have it going on. Peter, James, and John, they're above you, Paul. So he has to address that. He seeks them out, shakes hands, says, hey, listen, we have different missions, but we're all on the same team. It's a lot of work. What is he doing? He's preserving, he's establishing the gospel. But what does that mean for us then? So we think about applying this passage. I take that to mean that we've got to realize, even here today, even here this morning, that the gospel's always being threatened in our hearts and in our churches. Different threats, different seasons, different times, but initially we just need to realize it's always being threatened and attacked. And we need a strategy. What's our strategy? You think about how to counteract some of those strategies. What's it going to be? Well, here it is, and this is going to be underwhelming at some level. The best strategy we can fight against is to return to the good news of the gospel every single day. Every single day to realize what we've often heard and need to hear again and again. We've got to preach the good news of the gospel of grace every single day. You know, it can be summarized. What is the gospel? It can be summarized in different ways, but I like sticking with Galatians, verses three through five. If you flip there, I'll just read it for you here. It says, grace to you. Maybe that's all you need to hear today. Grace to you. And peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ who gave himself for our sins to deliver us from the present evil age, according to the will of our God and Father, to whom be the glory forever and ever. It was God's pleasure to send His Son to rescue us. We were in darkness. We were enslaved. And through Jesus and for God's glory, we have forgiveness we have deliverance from evil and bondage that is objectively true of all of us in Christ today. That's the gospel message. And the simplicity of it really is our greatest need. And I love good theology. I have a lot of books in my office. It's important, but it's not just about getting the information correct, getting our theology straight. That needs to happen But it's also tapping into Paul's passion here. If you just think about all the work he's put in and the passion that's driving him, it's because he's been so deeply gripped by the reality of a risen Jesus, by the mercy and grace of God for him, that he's driven. It's at the power center of his heart, and so it needs to work its way, not just into our minds, but into the control center of our lives the goodness and mercy of God's grace being preserved and established continually. But if you're like me, your heart's probably a little fickle, right? And if we're not careful, we'll just move on and look for something else to fill the void in our hearts. And that is my default mode, is to move on. So I don't know where you're temptation is. The voids I feel that are, that are going to be met, you can fill in the blank, but for me, it's often surrounds information, right? The next book, the next conference, the next article, the next piece of literature that comes out, you know, okay, that's going to fill the void. And that can be such a temptation for me. And there are all kinds of ways that we're tempted, even spiritually, to move on from the gospel. But let's be reminded today, our greatest need is to return Jesus in all He is. Jesus in Ephesians chapter 3.18, where Paul prays that we would see the depth of the love of Christ. Right? You've heard it so many times, and even now, in my own heart, I'm so tempted to move on, but he prays that prayer because he says, this is where we have to continue drinking from, the depth of the love of Christ. That is the only thing that will fill the voids in our hearts is all that Jesus is. And His infinite love will never explore the depths of God's glory to us revealed in Christ. We never will. We can keep going back and going back and there will be new and more enjoyable discoveries to be made. John Newton, who wrote the hymn Amazing Grace and Caleb Click, referred to in his sermon several weeks ago, was known... For being a man who fought to cling to the simple truths of the gospel. It's kind of what marked him. And in one of his letters, he wrote a lot of letters to people. And it says, he says this. I I love this. I feel encouraged because I'm not alone. He says, if I speak of my own experience, I find that to keep my eye simply upon Christ as my peace and my life is by far, don't miss this, the hardest part of my calling. He had a huge ministry. The hardest part of his calling was to simply see Jesus over and over again. So cheer up, right? You're in good company. We're all in good company. We're in good company with John Newton. We're not alone in this. Think of it like this you know, we're going to aim our life at a few things. And there, you know, there's a handful of things all of us uniquely are going to aim our life at. Well, I would say this passage today is drawing us into this. Make this one of them. Make this one of the great aims of your life until you see Jesus face to face, that you're going to return to the goodness and mercy of God on a regular basis. You're going to fight tooth and nail and be gritty to be gripped by his grace. Make that one of the aims of your life. I I love Mark's gospel, right? The first words of Jesus In that gospel, he says, the time is fulfilled, and the kingdom of God is at hand. And it's kind of like, all right, what's he going to say next? The kingdom of God is at hand. Angel armies are about to be unleashed, right? If you don't know the story, maybe you're thinking something extraordinary is about to happen. The kingdom of God. But what does Jesus say next? The kingdom of God is at hand. Repent and believe the gospel. That's it. The kingdom of God, repent and believe the gospel. You know, in thinking about this, I um, just saw the, the older I get, the more I realize that the people I respect and look up to are, are not the ones that have, you know, heads full of extraordinary knowledge or amazing deeds of courage. Though those things matter, they do. But the people I really am looking up to now are those that I know love Jesus. And they're quick to repent of their sin and just say the three hardest words in the English language. I was wrong. And they're boldly gripped by the truth of God's grace. And that was John Newton. That was him. He you've seen the movie Amazing Grace. It's in some of the discipleship stuff that, that many of you have been through. But I just that movie about William Wilberforce there at the end, you probably know the scene where he it's just so good. He says he's blind and he's, you know. Falling apart, and he just says, My memory's fading, but I remember two things. That I'm a great sinner, and Jesus is a great savior. That's what marked the end of his life. That's what he's and he was on a great mission. He had a and this is where the power for mission to love your neighbor, to do great things, this is where it lies to know those two things, to come back over and over again, to dive deeply into the simplicity that he's pardoned every sin, that he's redeemed us and we belong and we have a family and the Spirit of God is in us, all that we have in Christ. And so, oh, that we, wherever you are in life, maybe 20s, 30s, 40s, 70s, 80s, 90s, today be encouraged to the unyielding nature of what Paul says, preserving the simplicity of the gospel in your life. And just as a parenthesis, I'd say, I'd say this today, briefly, closing out this point. And maybe some of you just need to hear this. Paul didn't go it alone. In establishing the truth of the gospel, he had a team. He had friends. He had Titus. He had Barnabas there and other places in Acts. He had Luke. He had friends along his journey. He had friends even in this work that he's getting after. Right? And so today we need to be reminded we need community. That's God's design. We can't do it alone, and I'm tempted to go alone. I'm tempted to hide seasons of life, but we can't do it. It's not God's design, and so perhaps today we, we have new ADC classes starting up and life groups and the Newcomer Life Group and women's studies and different outlets, and so consider this is just a church, and we have different gatherings, and, but the design is that you would find a few people. You can be known. And you can establish the truth of the gospel in places where it's hard, relationally authentic places where it's hard, so that we can cling to Jesus on a daily basis. So, first point, continually establish the truth of the gospel. That was Paul's work. It's our work. Secondly, though, to preserve the gospel, it would help to put a finer point, I think, on some of the threats to that, some of the struggles that we experience. And from the passage, there are two basic threats. The first has to do with the content of the gospel. There's a threat there. And the second has to do with relationships and community. And so the first threat here, think about the content. And we've been talking about this. We'll continue to talk about it. From the text, though, we see in Galatians that some of our greatest threats have to do with freedom, things that pull us into slavery. And this is where the content of the gospel comes in, that Uh, Paul's churches are being pulled into slavery. They're losing sight of their freedom. And so, Paul, why is that? They're they're trying to add rules and rituals. And they're saying the content of the gospel is you need faith in Jesus and you need obedience to these rituals. And he says if you try to add any ounce of your performance, you cannot have one foot on Jesus and, and even a pinky toe on your goodness before the Lord, you'll lose the gospel. And so if you trust in Jesus today, the full favor and forgiveness of God, regardless of your performance today, yesterday, or tomorrow, even in God's discipline, He's good to us and pursuing us in His goodness. But you have been declared righteous. You have the full favor and forgiveness of God, regardless of our performance. But the default mode of our hearts is, is, this is more at work than many of us. I know for me, I often think... Yeah, I'm a good guy. I'm a nice guy. The Lord looked down the portal of time. Yes, I'm a sinner, but he saw just a little spark in there. A little spark of goodness. And he thought, that guy, I need him on my team. I'm going to recruit you. Losing sight of the gospel. There's no ounce of goodness that God foresaw in us. It was pure grace. But to think that there was is probably more at work in our hearts than we realize or even are willing to admit. One of the great places to go to in Scripture is the parable of the Pharisee and the tax collector. Thinking about the content of the gospel, you have an outcast, you have a thief, and you have a really good guy. And they both go into the temple to pray. A really good, morally right, pastor kind of guy, the Pharisee, he goes up to the front and He lists all the good things he has done, the bad things he hasn't done. You know the story. He lists a really great list. I mean, we'd want that guy on our team, but then you have the tax collector, the thief and the outcast who stands at the back. He can't even raise his eyes. He beats his chest, and it's like a seven-word prayer. And he says, God have mercy on me, a sinner. And Jesus says, that guy, goes home justified and declared righteous in my eyes. It's a remarkable story, and I need to hear it over and over again because I'm so prone to come to the Lord with my list of good things. I don't say that. I would never tell you that. But the default mode, functionally, I operate out of. I've been pretty good today, so I know you're really going to hear my prayer. That is not the gospel. Content of the gospel Secondly, though, we need to consider this uh, second threat, which is a community, a relational dynamic, right? So much of the gospel is threatened in our relationships. And I I know we all have tension in our relationships. They get hard. Uh, Oftentimes when relationships get hard, we we start to be cynical about the power of the gospel. And Paul is experiencing that here. Uh, He's being threatened. He's being attacked, Right? And, and, and this is often where the evil one gets us. It could be marriage. It could be parenting. It could be work relationships. It could be friendships. But when those are tough, I think that's when we really start to doubt the goodness of God and the power of grace. And so let's see how Paul interacts here with people that are criticizing him. So they claimed he was a second-class citizen. He wasn't on Team Jerusalem right? Those guys, Peter, James, and John, they were on the sea with Jesus. Paul, you're not not on that level. And and notice this, though. Notice what happens. Just an observation. These guys, when you start to live like that, when you live by a gospel of rules or a gospel of religion, you'll always end up with a critical spirit. Always end up comparing yourself to others. You'll always end up kind of Uh, You'll be like these guys in verse 4 or 5 where you're spying out. You're sneaking in. That'll be sort of the posture of your heart. If you're battling a critical spirit today, it's probably because you think, whether you know it or not, God is a scorekeeper of yours and others' goodness and badness. That'll lead to a posture, a spirit of criticism and critique. And it's this bondage of constantly comparing self to others. And you see, that's the fruit of what's happening With these false teachers. But I love what Paul says. Paul says the Jerusalem team there, he says it a couple times. They were seemingly influential. (laughs) But then he gives this sweet and freeing promise. It's like a little gospel arrow. And he just slips it in there. Verse six God shows no partiality. God shows no partiality. I mean, think about that. He doesn't keep score. There's no heavenly hierarchy, no point system in his mind with with people for certain jobs or degrees or incomes or certifications. And so the truth is we don't have to compare ourselves to others anymore. We really can be free of that challenge to feel superior, to feel inferior. And if you go through tough times, often, right, you just start to feel inferior and compare yourself to other people wanting to defend. God shows no partiality. We are all sinners that have been saved by grace. One theologian tells the story, I love this, of two Jews. He paints this picture of two Jews walking through Egypt the night of the Exodus Passover. And it's the night that the angel of death is to pass over the land And you know the story, the life of all the firstborn in Egypt are to die unless you have the blood of the lamb on the doorpost of your house. So imagine this scene. One guy says to the other, Hey, um, what do you think? Are you nervous about what's about to happen? Did you put the blood on the doorpost? And the other guy says, Yeah, totally. We're good, man. God said it. Moses said it. I believe it. It's all good. What? Are you nervous? kind of looking down his nose. Yeah, I'm scared. We have one child. I put the blood on the doorpost, but I have some doubts. I'm a little nervous. I don't know if I'm quite as confident as you are. Well, I'll pray for you, and we'll pray that you'll have great confidence. But as for me, man, I trust the Lord. So that night, which of those men lost a son? And the answer is Neither. Neither, because death doesn't pass over based on the intensity of their faith, or the clarity of it exercised, or the spirituality of one person. But death passes over on the ground of the blood of the lamb that was on the doorpost of their house. The blood of the lamb, no matter where you are, how you might be feeling about the gospel... Even this morning, that is what covers each and every person in Christ. That's where the ground of our assurance is. That's what silences the accuser in our relational tensions and our temptations to feel inferior. The ground of our hope is in the blood of the Lamb that's been shed for us, not in our performance, not in comparing ourselves to others. So God can show no partiality. And that's liberating. And we need to hear that and bring that in to our circles of influence even now. Let's look at one other thing real quick just to capture this relational dynamic. This is uh, just a tool. It was something that Tim Keller produced. And it helps to uh, expose how we might respond relationally when we're losing the gospel in our relationships, And so be encouraged by this. Uh, the right side over here, religion, is when we're operating on this, uh, forgetting that God shows partiality. Over on the left side is when we're hanging on to the gospel and believing that God doesn't show partiality. But I'll just read them for us here. Without the gospel uh, relating on religion, I'm criticized, I'm furious, I'm devastated. When I'm criticized, because it's essential for me to think of myself as a good person. And the rest of that self image must be destroyed at all costs. When we're hanging into the gospel, when I'm criticized, I struggle. But it's not essential for me to think of myself as a good person. My identity is not built on my record or my performance, but on God's love for me in Christ. I became a Christian by understanding those truths. Therefore, in Christ, I can do what's nearly impossible, right? I can take criticism. Isn't that liberating? My identity and self-worth are based mainly on how hard I work or how moral I am and so I must look down on those I perceive as lazy or immoral. I disdain I feel superior to others. My identity and self-worth are centered on the one who died for his enemies, who is excluded from the city for me. I'm saved by sheer grace so I can't look down on those who believe or practice something different for me. Only by grace I am what I am. I've no inner need. You know the inner lawyer. When it gets going, it's hard to silence inner lawyer. I've no inner need to win arguments and that's how paul is operating god shows no partiality that's the truth of the gospel that peter james and john paul were all on the same team we're all saved by grace and so bringing that being aware of that threat to the gospel in our hearts and in our churches is so essential it's so essential so lastly, let's talk, though, third point about the hope of the gospel, really as we consider uh, the table. And so maybe, again, you're here today, and, and if you're like me, you think, where's the power? Like, how do we begin to do this? Where's the power to preserve? Where's the power to return to the gospel truth? How do I be aware, even repentant, of threats that we fall into, uh, to not compare ourselves? It's, it, you know, maybe you're thinking, it's exhausting to try and keep preserving, kind of like my yard, preserving the gospel, and we get weary. We want to draw hearts into this, that Paul could fight to preserve the gospel because he knew the one who had preserved and who had fought for him. That was his power source. And so if you think, I thought about this, verses 4 through 5. Paul, again, that's at the heart of the passage. He's simply imitating Jesus and the persevering or preserving power of grace. So when he says, we did not yield for a moment, like think about those words. We didn't yield for a moment. Those words, if he's imitating Jesus... Those words remind us of another man who did not yield for a moment. Where's the power? Right. Our ultimate hope is not in our giftedness, our knowledge. Our hope really is in the one who has preserved and persevered for us. Jesus did not yield. He set his face toward Jerusalem. And he went to the cross and he hung there unyielding, unyielding, because he knew that we would and he knew that we couldn't. So he had to do for us what we could never do for ourselves. That's where our hope is. That's what this table is about today. And if you think about it, I thought about, you know, what if Paul had yielded? What if he had, I mean, we'll find out next week that Peter, he slips up. And so Paul has to confront him. But what if Paul had yielded? What if he had messed up? That would have been terrible. Right? That would have been bad. But guess what? Jesus never did. And he never will. And so your hope today, my hope today, our hope today to preserve the gospel is really in The preserving power of Jesus for us. That He did walk through the cross and rise from the grave victorious. And that grace has been won for us. That power is at work for us. And that's what the table says today. So as you take it today, think about that. As you hold the bread, as you hold the cup, think about that. Think about the preserving power of Jesus even in the words of that song, He will hold you fast. He will hold you fast. I can relate to this. When I fear my faith will fail, Christ will hold me fast. When the tempter would prevail, He will hold me fast. I could never keep my hold through life's fearful path, for my love is often cold. He must hold me fast. He will hold me fast me fast Christ will preserve his people and that's our power to be out preserving the gospel so let's pray together father I do thank you for these elements today that we're about to take and we would pray that you'd bless this, uh, this sacrament, this sacrament sacred ritual that draws us in to the simplicity of the gospel you could have said I want you to remember a lot of things but you said remember this do this in remembrance of me and it's all about your death for our sins, that we're great sinners and you're a great Savior. So would renew in our hearts even this moment in this ceremony, the good news of the gospel. And it's in Christ we pray, amen. So the table's been set today, but we always ask three questions to come prepared, a few things to think about. Paul says he wants us to take this in a worthy manner out of 1 Corinthians 11, and the first question we ask is this, uh, is do you truly know him? Have you come to a place in your relationship with Christ where you have said, I'm a big sinner. I do deserve God's judgment and wrath. Christ is my only hope, not my performance of my goodness, Jesus and Jesus alone. If that's not true of you, we'd say, let the elements pass you by. But today is a day of salvation. Let's begin a conversation. You may have a lot of questions, and myself or any of the elders here would love to talk to you about that. Think about what it means to follow Jesus Secondly, though, we ask, do others know that you know Him? Are you in a community of believers? Are you connected to an evangelical branch of Christ's church? If not, if you're just completely on an island, isolated from anybody in the body of Christ, we'd say let the elements pass you by, but we'd love to talk to you about what it means to be a part of a community that's so essential in God's design for us. And then thirdly, we ask, do you have a spirit of reconciliation with your neighbors? If there's any place in your life, and relationships are hard, we're seeing here, Right? But if you're utterly embittered and unwilling to even think about forgiveness in difficult relationships, right, we'd say let the elements pass you by, but let them work on mercy. If your heart is so hardened and embittered, you're not in a good place to take communion, but God would be saying today, hey, let's think about reconciliation. Let's think about God dying for enemies and drawing us into his very family. So as we do, we want to come in a worthy manner. We'll, we'll take... Uh, the cup, and you can twist it, and you'll have the bread and the juice there, and we'll all partake together. And so I'm going to pray and ask God to bless the service again, and then we'll pass out the elements, and we'll partake together. So let's pray one more time. Father, thank you again, and we ask specifically you would set these elements apart uh, from a very common use, this normal stuff, but you would use them for a sacred purpose to feed our faith in Christ, renew our faith. We really are helpless. Renew our faith in the depth of your love and mercy. In Jesus' name.